Good morning and thank you for listening to the podcast for this uh, Sunday, June 26th. An unlikely podcast finally comes together as the one and only Ryan Guglielmo joins us on the podcast. Very excited. Long interview, too. Long. I'm very excited because she sat down. She gave it her all. I like it. I think you're going to like it. Uh, and, and I hope you enjoy it. We have maybe five or six minutes here as an intro. Just to kind of, just to kind of get you, you know, just to go through a few light topics like, oh, I don't know, abortion, gun rights, and rapists playing football. You know, just the, just the news of the week. Oh God, oh, it is a tough time to live here, isn't it? Oh God, uh, where do we start? I want to uh, start off by saying that I personally and unequivocally. Uh, am disgusted by the Supreme Court's decision to move in a, a pro-life way to ban abortions at the federal level. Uh, I am happy that we live in a state where they will continue to be legal. Essentially, nothing will change here in New York State. I am sorry for the people I know, many people I know, who live in conservative states where a lot will change. And here's where I come from on that. And I, and I want to be as nice as I possibly can because I have a true honest-to-God belief in my heart that pro-life people absolutely mean right. They mean right. They are not terrible people. They do not care. Because here's the thing, because the left, and this is what, God, see, more and more I feel like I'm just in the middle because both extremes just piss me off at this point. The left wants you to believe that this means that um, rape that this means that pregnancies that threaten the life of the mother uh, will be continued to, or excuse me, will be forced to be brought to term. And I'll be honest with you, I've heard contradictory things on that. Uh, Watching the news, I've watched a lot of news over the last couple of days trying to kind of figure that out. And I, I still don't know, but I can't imagine a world where it's true that even this would force pregnancies as a result of rape or pregnancies that uh, absolutely threaten the life of the mother to be brought to term. I have to believe those are still going to be allowed to be aborted pregnancies. I have to believe that. I, if I'm wrong, then, oh, oh dear God, this is very, this is even more handmaid's tale than I thought it was. But uh, I believe that, that it, it, this is about the choice to terminate a pregnancy that you're not ready for. And I think pro-lifers are coming from a good place in the sense that I've heard them say that they're saving the lives of babies. And at the end of the day, of course, nobody wants to see (laughs) babies' lives in danger. Of course. I just don't think it's been thought through by the extreme pro-lifers completely because... I do get that mentality of there are babies who would be here today if abortion had been illegal. However, if you're going to live in a nation that is considered to be free, then you have got to allow certain freedoms for those people. And the people who pro-life just beat their chest over freedom, 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 look at the, look at the Constitution, look at the amendments are the same people who will tell you that the right 
for a woman to choose is not a freedom. I don't get that. I think it's an ultimate contradiction, a crack in the foundation of where they're coming from when they argue for First Amendment, Second Amendment, whatever rights. And I just think it's uh, it's where I can't make the full connection. I don't know how you look at a person, a human being, a woman in this country and say, I'm sorry, that's not your choice. I, I get it. It's your body, but it's not your choice, what you do with it. It's, And then they'll get ridiculous and they'll say, well... I say, well, it is it is their choice just to remain abstinent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Here's the problem, too. We're in this for a long time. I mean, the Supreme Court justices that made this happen, the Kavanaugh's, the Amy Coney Barrett's of the world, they're not going anywhere. They're young. Not only did Trump get conservatives on that court, he got young conservatives on that court. Boy, it's scary what else could come next. You saw the opinion. Was it Thomas, I think, with the opinion about, well, now we got to rethink X, Y, and Z? You know, interracial marriage, homosexual marriage, et cetera, et cetera. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's a free country. What are we going with this? I get, I listen, you are noble for not wanting to see babies die. You are absolutely noble, good-hearted people pro-life people i do not dislike you for your opinion it is a strong good opinion nobody nobody wants to see babies die nobody but taking away a woman's freedom of choice over her own body when a when a when a baby is still a seed it is far from killing babies it is not the same thing the drawing of a line between uh, a woman having an abortion at the th- uh, three-week, four-week, five, six weeks, drawing a line between that and killing babies is absolutely ridiculous and absurd. Then you get to the gun thing. And I want to be, as, as good as I can be, I want to try and be honest about the idea of, like, you know, just in the abortion thing we're talking about. Well, it's, you know, we're trying to... Uh, we're trying to see the other side and see what they think and see what they say. In this, I want to say it, too, because I heard a, an opinion on guns that actually had me fully 100% change my mind about something into a more conservative way of thinking. Uh, still want to see a ton of gun control. I, I absolutely do. I, it's, you know, a few weeks since the last mass shooting, we can't allow that to numb us to things. But I heard from a guy named Colin Noir. He was on the Rogan podcast, and he's a gun advocate. And he made the first ever explanation, or I guess, I don't know, would we call it a argument? He made the first ever argument to me that guns, uh, semi-automatic rifles specifically, should be allowed in the arms of regular Americans. And it was the first time I ever said, well, that's not a bad argument. And here's what he said. He said, guns in the hands of the public are meant for essentially two purposes, hunting and safety, protection. And if I ever have to use my gun to protect myself, I do not want it to be a fair fight. I want to have the better gun. That's why semi-automatic guns should be legal. To which I said, you know what? 
I get that. I actually think that's a good argument as to why a semi-automatic gun or rifle, whatever the hell you would call it, should actually be okay for, for an American to have. However, we have got to, this is where I disagreed with him because he thinks no national gun registry, you know, we, we can't do that. That's That will lead to they take all the guns. Okay. I believe we should have a national gun registry, and I believe people who own certain guns should be under different scrutiny. And if you're going to own a semi-automatic gun, there should be an agency that is tracking you, watching you, and probably even paying you the occasional surprise home visit to inspect you and make sure that you're properly maintaining that gun and are of proper mental hygiene to own that gun. So there's my personal stance right now. Not con- trying to go door-to-door door for guns. I think it's perfectly good for you to have a gun to, to, to protect yourself and to feel safe. However, I do think there needs to be a national registry, and I do think there needs to be more regulation, especially on those super dangerous assault rifles. I think you need to be subject for an inspection, just the way I am at my food factory, for safe food <laughs> production. There needs to be a government agency that's going to come on your and knock on your door once in a while, completely surprise you, and need to see where you're holding your gun and need to talk to you and ask you a few questions about exactly how you are uh, maintaining safety with that gun. How about that? Can we compromise on that? Let's compromise on that, okay? All right, we did abortion and guns. Anything else? You guys want to do religion? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I hate this. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, my God, I hate it. Well, we, why? Because... It doesn't matter what stance you take. You've seen Facebook. Think about the last 10 minutes of this podcast. I got 50% of the people listening to everything I'm saying going, yeah. And the other 50% going, boo. Like, it's, it's, just, it's so hard. Now I think about it. Thank God I got out of radio. It's too damn hard. Last thing, um, it's another controversial topic. What do you know? Maybe next week we'll do... We'll do, we'll do a lot more fluff, I think. But uh, Deshaun Watson, Cleveland Browns, apparently the hearing starts this week. What will the suspension be? We don't have to dive too deep into this. I just want it on the record. My prediction is that Deshaun Watson gets a two-year suspension, but that they reduce it by saying he has one year time served because he missed last season. So they'll say it's an unprecedented longest suspension ever given out, two years but the compromise will be he only actually has one more year to sit out because he already sat out a year. I just wanted that on the record. That's my official prediction. Okay. With all of that, boy, this is a memorable podcast, isn't it? The one where we covered religion and abortion, uh, guns and abortion, excuse me, and then talked to my wife for an hour and a half. So enjoy this podcast. And Ryan, I am so sorry about the intro. You really got dealt a shitty hand with the fact that I had to do 10 minutes on this kind of shit before we talked and had a fun conversation. A podcast guest that I am literally in love with, please enjoy, Ryan Bouchard Guglielmo.
Yeah, you sound good. Okay, I'm going to take off my earbuds. See but you? watch out and make sure you don't accidentally turn off the microphone. And this is also my cue to order my food as we start the podcast. By the way, we're going. Ooh. What? Oh, my God. This is what it's like to order from DoorDash. It's like <laughs> I'm trying to order the chicken hal- from the chicken halal place. Uh-huh. And it's like, <laughs> chicken, it's like chicken, $22. Mac and cheese, biscuit. Two dollars, two dollars. So that would say twenty six dollars, right? Fifty one dollars. I can't. <laughs> After delivery and like service charge, and I don't have DoorDash or Grubhub, any of those apps on my phone. Why? Because your husband will just buy anything. You need for <laughs> I also don't have Uber on my phone <laughs> until last weekend, and I said, Paul, you have to put your credit card in my Uber app. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, I'm placing my order. Oh, oh it hurts. It hurts. You're spending fifty dollars right now. Yeah, on on like on like basically high end KFC. <laughs> so gross <laughs> and expensive. Yeah. What are you drinking? What do you got? You got the classic. The classic. What is the classic? Paul, it feels so weird to be on your podcast. Oh, oh, really, Ryan? It feels so weird to be on your podcast. We've been together for what? I was trying to do the math, like eleven years. Mm. 12 July, years. Oh my God, July 4th. Yeah, 12, we started dating on July 4th, 2012. 12-year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... You've been on the air with me before, but like on the phone, I think. It, but for two minutes at a time. Yeah. And I think I turned you down so many times. Oh, so many times. That you just stopped asking. And yeah. since you've had this podcast... Early, like early on, I think, in me getting... And we should say the beer you're drinking when I say the classic is you're drinking the kind. The kind. Three heads the kind. Right. We had some sa- a sour from K2 that we brought to our neighbor's house earlier. And I had one young lion, honey bear, I think, that mm-hmm. we brought down to our I neighbor's house. I love that house. one. That was a good one. And all we have left in the house is three heads. So that's what you're on to. That's a good thing. Yeah. I enjoy no, I the kind. I know. Um, and we're recording this Saturday night. So after last week, after I was unable to get a hold of you, <laughs> this week we've pushed it all the way till okay, the night before. Okay, that's another thing. I, I, I want to apologize about that because I understand that you had mentioned on the podcast that your wife was coming up and um, yeah. and I'm sorry that I pushed it back a week. Okay. I had every intention to prepare <laughs> and I didn't prepare. Let me give you one tip just because I, I have PTSD from this. Ha- this happened really recently. Yeah. Just make sure the yep. you don't because I see how you're holding the mic. Okay. And uh, I recorded an entire interview with your friend Armand, the tea infusions kid. Yep. And he turned off the microphone like 30 seconds into the interview of the whole thing. <laughs> it's just me talking. That will me. happen. <laughs> so we'll try this again tomorrow morning. Actually, but I, if I feel like this is completely going downhill, yeah. I'm going to turn off the mic. It's not going to go downhill. It's fine. <laughs> Oh it's my fine. gosh. But I appreciate that you're actually here. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry it's a week late. Yeah. And thanks for being patient. Of course. Well, you're busy. You've got a lot going so on. So flexible. You've got a lot going on. You have a literal career. Uh-huh. And you've just become a business owner for the first time. You have a son, a house, and a husband who doesn't help you much. <laughs> 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 on anything. It's a lot right now. You have a lot going on. So, all right. We're going to end in Fairport. We're going to start in Fairport. Oh, I like that. I think, right? Okay. Because I like doing these things kind of... Do you ever listen to these, by the way? I don't even know if you ever listen to these podcasts. Oh, Paul. Because <laughs> do you know that I do these in like chronological order? I, take I do. People. I do. Yeah. I, I know so many people that listen to every single one of your podcasts. Yeah. 
And I don't tune into every single one, but the ones that I have listened to, I love them. Oh, are you just saying that? (laughs) No, I really enjoy them. Oh my God, that's so nice. I don't listen to podcasts a ton in general. Why why don't you give me, that's so nice that you would say, I can't believe you actually, (laughs) I kind of believe you. Polly is actually, he has the biggest smile right now. Yeah, well, I didn't like know that you ever listened or anything. I know that you've listened like once or twice when it's been maybe a client of yours or something. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and your family. I will never miss an interview when you interview yep. a family member. Yep, yep, yep. They're all um, impressive. Well, this weekend we're going to uh, we're going to Ohio for Fourth of July. Right. I'm gonna need it. I'll I'll bring the stuff. I've been dying to get my brother on, mm-hmm. but because he's a probation officer and he's got stories. The problem is, there's stuff he can't talk about. Right. But. I argue with him all the time because actually, because of the fact that that's a public service and like the police get paid with taxpayer money, blah, 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 mm-hmm. he actually can talk about some of the he stuff. He might not want to, though. Well, he doesn't I want to. I understand. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, There's I'll a try. few family members that I would like you to interview on my side, too, but we can talk about that okay. another time. All right. So we're going to end in Fairport, as we said, because Redbird Market is obviously the reason you've actually yes. agreed to come on. Yeah. But let's go back and let's see how we got here. You're born and raised in Fairport, New York. I, no, I'm I'm born and raised in Rochester. You really? Yeah. You, <laughs> yes. That's right. I can't pretend like I don't know. That. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, no. So you actually, yes, you were born in the city. Born here, yeah. And raised somewhat in the city. Raised in the city on Hazelwood Terrace. In a in a really really crazy uh-huh. factoid that a lot of people listening to this podcast will will know who we're referencing. You grew up. Oh right. Can I get this right? In the exact same house? The, sa- you- the same bedroom as Wheels. Wheels? Wheels and I, we shared a room growing up. You- <laughs> we so- lived in the house at separate times, well, but we so had the same He bedroom. lived there first or you lived there first? He would have lived there first, So yeah. you, your family bought the house from Wheels' family. Maybe that's how it worked. And... You, your bedroom, your childhood bedroom was the same bedroom that right. David Wheels Maxwell <laughs> had as a childhood bedroom for a while. Isn't that so funny? That is crazy. Yeah. So grew up on Hazelwood Terrace and we moved to Fairport when I was in third grade. I yeah. went to Catholic school, to a Ford Catholic school. My mom like volunteered at the bingo night at St. Ambrose. <clears throat> do, you, do, do you have memories of Hazelwood Terrace at all? Like. Do you remember um, that? I remember. I actually remember our bedroom, <laughs> my yeah. wheels bedroom, and it was a porch upstairs. It was like a side porch. So it was all windows, kind of like your first apartment. Your parents were young too, because weren't your parents in their early twenties? My they parents were young when they had me. Yeah, yeah I th- I think they were twenty two, twenty three. And you were not to put their business out there, but I believe you were in attendance at their wedding. So you were like, <laughs> you were. Yeah. I mean, you were a baby, but you were. I was at my parents' wedding. It's so funny. I forgot. I forgot about that until <laughs> yeah. you just said that. And. Yeah, growing up, so in that house in Hazelwood, it was me and my sister. My mom was home with us. My dad, he always tells me he was making like $18,000 a year for a family of four. And um, yeah, I I think it was tough. I think it was tough for my family. And then, well, this is terrible, but someone was shot on my street, like very close to my house. And that's when my parents said, we we gotta yeah. move off of We're the, the hell street. Out of here. Yeah. yeah, and they go to Fairport and and that house that they live in now, which I don't say the location or anything, but it's a beautiful house. Uh, so obviously your dad started doing better, I think, because your dad at some point goes out and becomes an entrepreneur himself, right? Yeah, I th- I think he was still making very very little money when we moved to Fairport, but they put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into th- into the house where I grew up. Oh, they bought a fixer upper. <sighs> yeah. Okay. 
And then, yeah, I mean, they like did the siding and everything. They put a lot of, and redid the kitchen. They they put a lot of work into it, kind of like what we're doing with our house. Do you house. remember moving? I mean, you were third grade, um, so maybe it wasn't terrible to move yet. Because, like, I think it's terrible on kids to move once they become, like, middle school or high school. Right. But I think when you're a little, it maybe isn't so bad yet. I, I really don't remember. I mean, I was in third grade. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember a ton. I do remember, like, my first friends moving to Fairport and... um. Kevin Beck, who lived diagonal from me, he came over. He was like, do you want to be friends? And like, I grew up with this kid. I love how simple we are when we're kids. We're <laughs> I know. Like, do you want to be friends? Right. Exactly. <laughs> we're friends now. Can Ryan play? <laughs> yeah. So I guess I don't really remember like moving, but I think it was a, a good move. And when we landed in Fairport, then um, like we each got our own room and then my brother came along and then my youngest sister came along and then we had this big full house. Yeah, because you have three siblings, so it is a yeah. big family. Um, do you remember growing up in Fairport? Do you remember now getting into like high school and whatnot? If I had talked to you when you were a senior in high school, mm-hmm. what would you have told me you were going to be when you grew up? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I I would have said I was going to be a teacher, mm-hmm. and that's actually when when I went to um, college at Fredonia. I went for elementary education, and. Um, it was, I think, my sophomore year. I had to go into the classroom, and I had to put together a lesson plan, and I dropped an entire bowl of Skittles, and all of these kiddos like just skyrocketed <laughs> to the floor, and I just felt so out of control. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, This is so terrifying, and I'm in charge of 25 of them. And that's when I decided to change my major. But you do seem like a teacher i know i mean you like i remember when i first met you that my thought was that you were obviously going to be a teacher i almost felt like even asking you Uh on our maybe it was our first date or maybe it was even before our first date like in our first couple of conversations like i I remember asking you what you were gonna what you you know what was your major or like what were you gonna be because we met when you were still in college and like what was your major what were you going to be? And I remember asking it, feeling like I was just routine asking it because obviously you were going into education. Mm-hmm. You just seemed like a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> even today, now I, I have these moments where I'm like, oh, I should have stayed with it. I, I, I well, you have that like, cheeriness to Like, you know how we, t- we have Leo, our son, goes to preschool and mm-hmm. the teachers are so wonderful, but they're like cartoon character <laughs> preschool <laughs> teachers where like... You bring him to school and, and they literally, they are these two women who are like, hello, little one, <laughs> smile, it's a Monday. See, I could totally do that. And and every time I see that, I'm like, that's like Ryan's, like, that's our whole thing. That's, right. That's what you're actually like. Yeah. To everyone other than me, but that's what you're actually <laughs> like. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But, and so I get it. So what made you, so I guess you already said what made you not want to do it, but that seems like a little thing for you to just go, well, I'm going in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, well, before we get to that really fast, I like in my head, I thought always a teacher, but it's funny because in my work now I do a lot of writing. When I was in high school, I took a journalism class. I don't even know if you know this. And I had to do like some creative piece, but it was due tomorrow. So I had to write something and put something together really, really quickly. I was working at Hollister at the time. So I wrote an essay about how working at Hollister would help prepare me if I ever got stuck in the forest or stuck in the woods or lost. Something ridiculous well, like that. Not only do I know about this, but this is a famous story in the Bouchard household. Your family, your siblings have told me this story many times. 
it seems to me as though this was uh, well so <laughs> this was a very I funny sh- moment yeah it was hilarious because <laughs> i put together this essay but you didn't think it was hilarious i wasn't funny like, i was actually being serious <laughs> you were being serious yeah. working at hollister prepares you to escape from a jungle right yes thank and you and everyone was just like that's funny this is Did ridiculous you- <laughs> but it actually was like very funny and i and like <laughs> I put it together, not even as a joke, but it ended up being a really great piece. You're like I think. the disaster artist. You're like the guy. <laughs> what's the guy from uh, the James Franco plays? What's his name in real life? He's the guy, the director of The Room. I, you know I, that guy? Hold on, no, I gotta I Google know. it because people are gonna kick me if I don't say the name. They're gonna, ooh, they're shouting it. Uh, the the guy, what's his name? Tommy was Tommy was Wiseau, I think it was. Uh-huh. He's the guy who like made this super serious movie that everyone just <laughs> laughed at because of how like right. kind of Well, so I wrote this ridiculous. really, really serious essay and <laughs> it was just a huge joke. And some people even like kept it. Like, I don't know. Oh my they were God. just, they were making that's, fun of me behind my back. At that point, that's kind of mean awful. though if they kept it's, it. Thank you. That being said, Did it they was, frame it and put it like on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> I, it, was, it has come back to haunt me a few times in my adult life. But <laughs> but the thing is, is I wrote this piece and it was creative and I think it was well written. And I'm, my teacher actually, who was a formal reporter, he said like, this is actually really funny. This is a really good piece. So anyways, I got to Did you immediately one. roll with it and say, yeah, I know it's funny, right? I was, <laughs> or did you try to tell everyone like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> I had to play it off as a joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only way to go. Oh yeah, I meant to be funny oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh you end up changing majors then yeah yeah and what happens next so i go i i go to college as the um, you got whole, I, I, yeah you keep on talking like off to the side sorry about that right into the mic please i love you i yeah. i don't want to seem rude but i worry no, your voice won't be you're on good. the mic go to college go to fredonia um i had so much fun i i had too much fun the first couple of years switched the major after i dropped one of my favorite stories about the too much fun no i don't know about you walking home barefoot in the middle of winter and getting frostbite on your foot i don't want to talk about that but it did happen we're definitely (laughs) going to leave that out oh my god the thing i I remember about visiting you in college if i may (laughs) was um and i was creep i was creep old man because i was you were all of my we were seniors at the time yeah. and you were you're seven years older than me right six seven, and a half, six, okay. six and a half. but you were like the old I guy 26 or 27 and i came to visit my girlfriend at college it was a little embarrassing but, you, but uh what i do remember about you guys was i had reached the point in my life where midnight was late <laughs> that's what I, I was just thinking when i was in college like also i agree like midnight was prime time yeah. on a saturday night right Right. Meanwhile, you and I on a Saturday right now are recording this 7.45 p.m. <laughs> and like you're going to go Yawning. to bed right after this. And I'm going to eat and then go to bed right after this. But uh, but I remember in, in, for me in college too, midnight was late. But I mm-hmm. had reached that point in life around the – I think like right around 25 where now I wasn't doing that anymore. But then I went to you guys. And you guys didn't even leave your apartment. Until like midnight. Until midnight. I know. And I, I was – Man, I was struggling that night. I would I would not have even done it if I I couldn't do it. Gosh, how things have changed. Well, again, think of it right now. I don't want to go too deep into this, but it's seven forty-five right now. I I think I really, about I look back and if I don't you were understand. in college, you wouldn't even have started getting ready for the night. Yet. Right. It's basically still mid-afternoon for you. At this I point. think that's what they still do, right? Like I think that's the rite of passage when you're yeah. that age. Yeah, yeah. Well, so back to my studies. Yes, back to your <laughs> academics. <laughs> Switch majors after I dropped the Skittles 
in the classroom and I thought this is so intense and like so much responsibility switched to business uh, business administration and um there's a lot of numbers and economics and like everything that we're going to be doing with a business and everything that you do now I thought it's so numbers focused so then I switched over to communication so I could get some writing and it just felt more relational yeah and switched Business in college is hard. Yeah. I mean, business in real life is hard too, but business in college is hard. I feel like business is the type of thing where if you go out and you run a business for a while, like Mm -hmm. now I think I could go back to college and do okay in business. Yeah. But at the time when I was like 20, oh, I would have fucking failed like so bad. Right. I... So we're talking about Fredonia undergrad. I went to grad school and I enjoyed grad school so much more than I enjoyed undergrad well that was years later years later i was uh, is for grad school i got a master's in strategic marketing and it's what i do and yeah. it wasn't accounting and you worked and in the field at that point too, exactly yes yeah, so i was able to actually apply it yeah and so that was one of the the well one of my best accomplishments i did it right after and while leo was i i started when he was when i was pregnant and then through his what yeah. first year and a half he of his was life. An infant. You what you got your masters while you were nine months pregnant and raising an infant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so I know we're jumping around a bit, but landed on the communications and when I started a PR class with and she's no longer with us, but Ann Carden, she was amazing and one of the reasons why I loved PR so much at Fredonia. And we had to put together a final project and they gave us I think it was a nonprofit organization and we had to develop this PR plan. And it was really freaking fun for me. So I'm glad I landed on PR. And the, I guess the rest is history. And, and again, when I met you, and it was like, again, you were like a senior in college. But mm-hmm. you wanted to work for Dixon Schwabble. Mm-hmm. From the day I met you, your goal was, I want to work for Dixon Schwabble. And what? how did that get on your radar? Like, how did you even know Dixon Schwabble? And how did you choose? Because they weren't the only agency in town. Right. But how did you choose that that was the agency you knew you wanted to work for? I would say word of mouth and when I was getting ready to graduate and doing research on firms like that was the one that kept popping up and that's the one that ultimately I really really wanted to work at it was and and they they were they are but they were they've always been very famous for having like just this unbelievable culture Mm -hmm. right like everybody either knows either you've seen it or you've heard about it right the office is like full it's all decorated by Mackenzie Child right you guys have a slide in your (laughs) lobby that goes from like the third floor to the lobby it's it's absolutely beautiful right like the building itself is absolutely gorgeous the energy uh, in the building is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren and Mike, who now are are, are semi retired, I guess, but yep. you know they back in in those days though they were there every day, right? Yep. And like there was just an energy that was just Dixon Trouble really was infectious. It had a yeah. wonderful culture. I agree. Yeah. After I graduated, though, I didn't I didn't start there right away because I was applying, which felt like everywhere at the time. And I actually applied at DS, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it the first time that I that I applied. Yeah, we should. <sighs> I, this is one of my. This is a great story. It's a g- great story about like perseverance too. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's kind of. It's in a way, it's a little bit of a funny story, but it's also a really good lesson for people because mm-hmm. you did. It was your dream job, and you got turned down. I freaking got turned down. And, right. and now, and just f- to in retrospect, now here we are. Mm-hmm. What eight nine years later? Ten, ten over ten, ten years. years later, 
and you are basically number two in the PR department. But at the time, you went there and you applied. Didn't you apply to be an intern? Yeah. And that's what I got turned down for. You right. got you didn't even get an internship. Right. Like you got turned down as an intern. Yeah. So imagine the interview I had for... I had an informational interview with a woman who no longer works there. She was on the account service team. And I said, I applied for the internship and I didn't get it. I really, really, really want to work there. I know I would be a good fit. And just keep me in mind if anything opens up. And to her credit, she did. And she reached out maybe, I don't know, six months later, a year later. She said, the position at the front desk is opened up. Do you want to apply? And I said, uh, Absolutely. In the meantime, you went to Paychex. Yeah, so that was my first job. Yeah. Cold, oh my goodness. Yes. Paychex is a wonderful company. I'm right. super happy it's right. in Rochester. Right. But the cold call thing is brutal. The cold call thing was brutal. It, I I was fresh out of college. I wanted to like meet people and actually, well, I did meet a couple friends there. I just saw one of them today. Um, but it was really hard. I had to make 150 phone calls every day in a cubicle selling like trying to book appointments to yeah. sell payroll and i i was awful i was so bad at probably they well, tried i won't i won't even t- say stories i never met my quota they like they hosted special sessions with me so i could get my numbers up i was just not good at well, it well here's the thing a hundred first of all the odds are against you 149 out of 150 people have absolutely no interest in talking right. to you the, so you're you, supposed to book i think three point three appointments a day right. i got so, like Two a week. So even they, even they, and you know their projections are going to be inflated. Right. They're going to think, they're going to pretend like, oh, mm-hmm. you're going to get three appointments. <laughs> even they are admitting one out of 50 is your yeah. best best case scenario. Right? So that's a brutal situation. It was hard. It but, was so hard. But honestly, though, that is that is paycheck strategy, though. And I think that it's, uh, in a way, it's brilliant when you think of it more from the from the standpoint of how are we going to recruit people because their idea is they will essentially hire anybody right literally just anybody that was the first job that offered that was the first um position that i was even offered. They, over the years they, they have hired thousands of essentially kids because it's always young people yeah of course to come in and do those cold calls mm-hmm. and they two things come out of it that are good for them one thing is they probably do if you you know it's all numbers cold calling is a numbers game so they probably do book a ton of appointments off of those when you aggregate it all and you say okay over the course of a week we we booked 30 appointments out of this department and maybe we'll get the business out of like five. That's still, it's growing. Right. But number two is they're just kind of throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks with the people because out of your team, probably one of you might be good at it mm-hmm. and move to the next level. And then the next, so they're, they're and there's people that, have, that, that stay there for totally. many, many years yeah. and they have an amazing career. Yeah. For me, it just, it was not what I was looking for what i wasn't yep. good at it i it was just it was really hard for I me i think it's to be honest with you, i think it's a good strategy because they just they get so many bodies in the building right. that some of them are bound to turn out to be stars and some of them are yeah one of my friends on my team she turned out to be such a rock star and i think she might even went out on like external like then she went out in the field so they probably have internal money by the end of right, so they don't tell you guys that but they probably have internal goals where because how many people were on a team i think like 10 10 to 12 maybe? so they probably have internal goals where they're probably like if one person yeah. from each team turns out to be a rock star, that's a, that's right, a, that, a win. That's a win. Right. Yeah. Well, I was the one with like special appointments to yeah. try to help my numbers, which Wait never happened. I'm going to start getting happened. distracted because I'm starting to get texts that my uh, DoorDash is almost here and we still have a long way to go. <laughs> okay. So uh, 
you end up getting then the job at Dixon Schwabel, but let's yeah. you, you I, we grazed over an important thing too. This was not a PR job, mm-hmm. wasn't a marketing right, job. Right. You were hired to be the director of first impressions, exactly. which make no mistake is the receptionist. The receptionist, right? And I had the interview with Lauren Dixon, and so I remember pulling up in the parking lot, and I kept thinking to myself. I cannot do this. I cannot walk in that door because the last time I walked in, I didn't get the interview. And I remember calling my mom in the parking lot and I was like, mom, I like, I'm not going in. I, I cannot sit down and talk to Lauren Dixon. I just can't. And she's like, Ryan, you get your ass inside. Um, and I just remember that interview, like being so nervous and to meet Lauren because of who she is. And she's basically a local celebrity. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And this is my dream job. And walking back to her office with her, it, she, after I had my interview with her, I thought, this is where I, I need to work here. And you know what's crazy about that, about what I'm just realizing now, because I never knew that you interviewed with Lauren Dixon yeah. to be the receptionist. Mm-hmm. And it's occurring to me now that when you are the, I'm sorry, director of first impressions, <laughs> that you are working a little closer with Lauren than some of the other people in the building. Oh, because. Yeah. You're kind of, you're her gatekeeper, essentially, mm-hmm. at that point. So, of course, she would want to interview you. Right. Because your job is, you're the first face anyone's seeing when they walk in the building. I was one. answering the phones. And yeah, I was two, greeting every client. Yeah, you're the one who you're screening out the right. shit she doesn't want to deal with. Too. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all of the stars aligned, and I started as the director of First Impressions, and they had told me that we understand you want PR, but there's a time commitment to this this position you're not going to be in and out and on the PR team in two months I think they had told me the time was I, maybe two years I think it was I remember it was, it was it two like, years yeah, yeah. I remember because you know you I, I remember having those conversations with you where you were just saying like I just got to make it to two years mm-hmm. I got to make it to two years mm-hmm. you know it not that I don't think you you hated it by any means oh but it wasn't where you wanted to be my food's here hold on a second here you talk Pause. to the people um I absolutely do not do this type of ab living. Whatever chicken Polly's ordering, it's already grossing me out. Uh, guy, that was the nicest DoorDash driver ever, by the way. Really? I know. What were you talking about? I heard he, you talking he, about. He goes, because uh, I ordered like some halal chicken. Uh-huh. And he's like, you know, they make this like three blocks away from here. <laughs> I was like, what? Apparently he went to Henrietta or something to oh, get the chicken. Geez. Well, that's why you paid fifty one dollars for there's some like, chicken. But there's like another location really close that I didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. Do you I tip think... on top of the DoorDash? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, where were we? Anyways, um, so got the position at the front desk. They told me two years, but then I, I, I they knew that I wanted PR and. Um, again, like timing definitely worked in my favor and there was a position open on the PR team as the PR assistant about a year in. So I asked to be considered and then, um, I, I got that position. And so now I've been there for, it was 10 years in March and I've had, there's so many titles too. Yeah, we, I was going to say, we can kind of fast forward yeah. over the next little bit because uh, the assistant is is not, not a glamorous job either. No. Because you are exactly what that is. You're the assistant, right? So right. all the other PR reps are asking you to do some of the, some of the, some of the, I don't want to call it busy work, but some of the, how would we describe what the assistant ends up doing? I, instead of having clients, my clients were the team members on the PR team. Sure, yeah. So anything they needed, it was a, it was a lot of administrative and like sending yeah. out releases and building media, uh, just 
it, all very important work. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't have your own clients. Exactly. You want your own clients. Right. Yeah. And the more time you spend, or the more time I spent, the more clients I got, and um, more of a leadership role with those different so partners. You eventually got to you, now over the so again, like I said, we'll fast forward now. So over the bu- next bunch of years up until now, you get promoted, 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 promoted. What's your current title? Current title is um, director of PR. Director of Public Relations at right. Dixon Schwabel. Can you believe it? That's right. Dixon Schwabel and Company. DS and Co. Right. Excuse DS and me. Co. We re- rebranded last year. Uh, but can you believe it? Like, think about back to when you didn't get the internship and now you're the Director of Public Relations at DS and Co. I'm not the director of our team. I'm... I'm sorry. I went by your job title. That's right. what your job title well, says. Well, there's a lot of job titles. We have a director of our team who yeah. manages everyone on our team. But I do manage clients and... Um, who was your first client when you finally got a client? Oh my Who gosh. I think my first client was the YMCA of Greater Rochester. Okay. All right. That's so funny too. Like that really brings me back 10 years. That was my first client. And even back then you would get partnered with other, right? Because then you're a junior PR. Exactly. Now you're yeah. like senior PR. So now you get to run the client. So what was the first time you ever got a client where you were the one in oh charge gosh. of this client? That's a really good question too. Um... I can't pinpoint like the first time that I I was leading an account. That would have happened probably five years ago or so. So and then uh, and I uh, I, I want to get into a little bit of PR. I, I want to get to Redbird Market yeah, eventually. Yeah, I here. do too. Yeah, but like but but uh, I I think PR is very interesting. But I do want to talk about the clients you ended up getting to work with because like right now, for example, you're working with the PGA. It's, it's huge and it's awesome. It's awesome. PGA is coming to Oak Hill in May. Yep. Everybody wants a piece of it. It's going to be the biggest <laughs> thing in true. town, right? That week, like, there's nothing bigger. Honestly, that month, mm-hmm. honestly, pretty much all year, it's one of the biggest things that's going to happen in the city. And you're the head of PR <laughs> for this. There's a team of us. This is right. a, this is this will be one of the if it will be the biggest event next year in in Rochester. Yeah. And so. Um, yeah, there's a team of us promoting it. And what working. is it like working with an organization like the PGA? I mean, this is a national professional sports. Yeah, thing. it's it's really fun. You know, it's so funny. I don't I I don't play golf. I have to promote the PGA. Like I have to promote the 2023 PGA Championship that is coming to Rochester. But I've had different um, golf clients over the years, like the RBC Heritage. I went down to South Carolina a, hand, a handful of times for that tournament. And then when the KitchenAid Senior PGA came to Rochester in 2019, I worked on that. And now this is like, this is the big one. This yeah. is with, with the pros. And um, I will say, I, it's hard to say like your favorite client, but it's the biggest account that I'm working on right now. Well, so it's, it's got to be s- s- different too. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I'm thinking in PR, mm-hmm. you you have two different types of things. Mm-hmm. You've got clients. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. You've got clients who are like, please get us attention. Right. We need attention. Right. Nobody's paying attention to right. us. And then you've got clients like the PGA who are like, we have more attention than we need. Right. We need you to curate the attention the way we want it. Well, yeah. And there's there's milestones. Like there's moments where the PGA will sell itself. Like tickets are on sale or, or you know, whatever the announcement is. But there's also downtimes too. And we're working with them 
for over a year. Well, so right, because they're, they're like, we want to do a full year of promotion, and you're like, <laughs> right. Year? So there's going to be some months where we're going to have to get a little creative, uh, and like, can we play golf in the snow? Like, there's going to be. Can t- we get on the Paul Guglielmo podcast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paul, I need you to do an interview. I've done that a few times to you too. So I, it's it's really fun. Um, it can be stressful too, like when you have a, an event of this caliber, and and it's the PGA. They have very high expectations as as they should. And you just like, I, I just want to do it right and do it yeah. justice. Yeah. And, um, but it's, it's a really, really fun account and, and th- we're all working very hard. So let's, uh, a couple quick PR questions before we yeah. move on. So <laughs> tell me about the other type of client, the client who comes to you because they're just, they're desperate for attention. They can't, yeah. you know, nobody's paying attention. They can't get any coverage whatsoever. What's the strategy like there where you're like, you know, they're coming, they, they, they've got a budget to spend obviously on you and now you right. got to go make the public care about whatever this thing is that <sighs> they've got to sell. Well, you got to do something like it, it's really hard when someone comes and they say we want publicity. Well, what do you have going on? Like, let's let's talk about that. And it, it's also a challenge as a publicist when someone comes and they want national PR. Well, right. what are you doing that's national PR worthy? Like, let's talk about that. So you say the onus it does come down to the client to, like, have something worthy right. of promoting. Right. Yes. I, it's really hard to make stuff up. And I also am not that type of publicist. Like, yeah. it's – I reputation matters, and I don't want to be the publicist who's, like, you know, promoting something that is way too forced. So – Which does happen. Right. I mean, I I think, you know, I was in media, obviously, for years. Mm -hmm. And you do hear from publicists who are clearly desperate for attention. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I could just go in that direction for a moment, it does not give the media people the right to then go on and bash the PR people because you're just trying to do your job. Right. And this is something that you have, you and all of your colleagues, and you can, right now, if you want to, don't have to say a word because I'll say it all. (laughs) But there are some, I have seen it on Twitter so many times that local journalists bash PR people because maybe you're pushing some content that they're not particularly interested in. They need to seriously take a look in the mirror and realize they're a journalist in Rochester, New York, and they should thank themselves that you even know who they are. Paul, that's really strong. I and know it's strong. I, I don't agree with that I, at all. I, I, I know you're not allowed to agree no, with no, that. No, 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 no. But on a personal level, I don't agree with that. Well, what are you saying? When you see, you've seen it, the reporters in town who will tweet things where they're like, okay, PR people, I, I, stop pushing this because I don't even report on that thing. And it's right? like, you know what? You're lucky I have your email. Like, you're not, they're not, they act superior to you guys. And it really pisses me off every time that happens. It, it That has happened. And anytime I see a tweet that makes fun of a PR person or if there's a type, a silly typo in an email that they then, yeah. then post, I feel for that publicist. At knock on wood. I don't know if that's ever happened to me personally, but um, yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, we're all human and I, I'm just, I have a job to do and I would rather th- like anyone just say, no, we're not interested instead of blasting that out. It's, yeah. it's Listen, I'm going too far and you I You are get going it. way too and, far. And I don't expect you to appreciate this at all. I don't like anything that you're saying right now. I agree. 
I know. You got to do a little. P- you're doing a little PR for yourself <laughs> no, I just right don't. now. I think you're what? being. I, I think you're being a jerk. <laughs> I'm being defensive of my wife. And I think all jobs can, are honorable. Actually, hold on a second. I am going a little too far, but can we just say? I think, in fairness, I am just defending my wife right but now. But you get no. You get more worked up than I, I do over I these know, things. I do. And uh, it I, happens right. to any industry. If you go on Twitter, someone is making fun of someone. It's right. not just to PR people. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, I'm like, ugh. All right, last PR question. Yeah. Let's talk about crises. Let's yeah. talk about client calls you and... Happened today. World is ending, right? <laughs> I know I'm 100% sure you don't want to talk about whatever happened today. No, I don't. But let's talk about a generic scenario. Uh, you know, a co- um, company has something really, really bad happen. Mm-hmm. And they need urgent PR help. Uh, at, what's the strategy there where it's like they are in deep shit and you got to... First of all, how do you decide if you even want to work with them? Because sometimes they're wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like there's probably situations where they call you... And when you hear the whole story, you're like, oh, I don't want to defend this person. Fortunately, I'm not the deciding factor. I, I don't make those decisions. If okay. it, That's the, the higher ups. But I mean, so the first thing is we have to understand like what's happening. Is this long term? Is this a true crisis? Is somebody in trouble? Or is this a not so bad problem that we can manage and it's not so urgent? It seems, you just like how you put it, it seems like most of the time it's one of those two buckets Mm -hmm. of either they truly have screwed up Mm -hmm. and, ooh, this is going to be rough, or, ooh, this is all just one big miscommunication. Yeah. Our job is to re-communicate those. So we have to understand what, what, what is happening and what the risks are and how urgent it is. And then we have to determine, like, well, what's the truth? Like, what is there to say about this? And do you have to take, do you take ownership? Did you do something wrong? Do you need to apologize? Like, there's all of these, it all depends on what the crisis is. Have you ever had it happen where a client thinks they didn't do anything wrong and you have to, like, tell them? "Mm, Um, I've had to ask tough questions. Yeah. And not pointing the finger back, but I've had to ask tough questions and it's, I remember once I said, like, I, I don't, I, I hope this is not coming across as insensitive, but I, I'm trying to understand this. And it was a, a tough situation. And I just really needed to get down to what was happening and, and kind of the scope of, of this problem. Um, and then we determined, are we going to go out right now? Or are we going to just see, like, what happens? And so, yeah, some people thrive, some people love crisis communications and it comes very naturally to them. When I first started on the crisis team, because that's, I guess, a, a department within the PR team, um, I, I couldn't, I hated it. I was like, this is so, this, like, the, micros- the microscope is on you and it's so high pressure and it's so important too. And, but in time, um, you have to move faster you have to move a lot faster too and I think I've gotten better at that because at first it was like when it not paralyzing but when expectations are so high you're like oh, I don't even know where to start but yeah. now it's like you've taken one thing at a time so quick advice for a company that finds themselves with their foot in their mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, general strategy own it apologize for it explain how you're going to fix it I, yes that's a great plan okay that's it anything else I don't think so. Okay. All right. 
what if the company did something and they don't think they did anything wrong? And and you kind of agree. You're like, actually, they didn't really do anything wrong. Because the problem with going out into the public and saying we didn't do anything wrong, the more you say you did nothing wrong, right. the more it sounds like you did something well, how wrong. how many people are saying like you did something <laughs> wrong? Is it like one person or is it 125 people? That yeah, yeah, yeah. So. True, true. Okay. All right. Let's skip ahead. Let's get to Redbird Market here. Ah! So you've been, so you've got a long career in PR. I'm yeah. sorry. It was just really exciting for me to talk to you about. That. <laughs> um, let's talk about exactly how this all came to be with Redbird Market because okay. this is a part of the story that I can actually help with here. Tell me from your perspective how Redbird Market came to be. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> okay, in my eyes. It was a few months ago, and I was sitting at the dining room table. I was working from home, and you came home, and you said, I have amazing news. I was like, what are you talking about? And you said, I was just delivering sauce to Redbird Market. And again, I grew up in Fairport, so and I've been a long, long-time customer of Redbird Markets. And you said, um, I was talking to who is now the previous owner, and she's looking for her next adventure. She's getting ready to sell. You said, I think we should buy it. And I said, Paul, no. I, th- I think I got pissed. I you was did. like, no. I was wondering if you were going to own up to this. Yeah, I, I thought. But but that's a, that's that is one way that you and I are very different. I think you and I are very, very different. You are okay with taking risks. Yeah. You're okay with change. I am good. Like, we're good. And we didn't need this. I am. I'm, I'm definitely... Uh risk tolerant totally and, and i'm you, not and you are what i will call you you are lou bouchard's daughter the, <laughs> your, your i'm father, very careful for, so for careful. reference to that your father is a financial advisor right and he's a very conservative sort of financial advice very like he's never met a dollar that he doesn't think belongs in a savings account right, right? so i think you have that sort of like you're very risk adverse yeah and 100%. that is a way we're very different right so you said we have this amazing opportunity and i said absolutely not <laughs> and then um i'm so glad you were admitting this. <laughs> and then later that night i had called my mom to say like can you believe this ridiculous thing that paul said that we should do and my mom said ryan this is a really awesome opportunity we have to do this and and then when well when your husband says we should do this i like we say no, but right. when your mom says we should do this, then okay. That's how it works with like the, the bushes in the back too. I remember I wanted to tear the bushes out of the backyard <laughs> for years and then your dad came over one time and he was like, yeah, she get rid of those bushes and you're you like, okay. You know what's so funny? I was thinking about this today, <laughs> completely unrelated. Do you remember when we first bought our house and we didn't have air conditioner? Yep. An air conditioner. And you said, uh-huh. Ryan, we need air conditioning. I'm like, no. <laughs> On my house in Hazelwood Terrace, I didn't have air conditioning and we're fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I was literally thinking today because I turned on the air last night. I'm like, if we didn't have a freaking air conditioner, <laughs> I'd be so miserable. So miserable. So, all right. So, your mom says, hey, actually, we should do so this. So, she says, yeah, we should do this. So, then... Yeah, I don't know what you had that night, but you came home. I was like, okay, Paul, I'm really sorry I <laughs> responded in that way. Yeah. I did owe you an apology. My mom said, like, you need to say sorry to Paul. I remember that, actually. We were outside for whatever reason, and you were like, my mom says I should apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but but, no, but I, my mom was really excited about this. The second she heard yeah. about this opportunity, and she still lives in Fairport. My Both my parents live in Fairport. And she was really, really excited. So, so when can I she, tell from my perspective, yeah, too, though, to do. catch up to that point yeah. in the story? Because from that point on, it sort of becomes your story. But like 
I basically, I had this girl who was doing my deliveries, Mm -hmm. and she was on a family vacation to Florida, and this was in early March, and it was right before we went on our family vacation to Florida, Mm -hmm. so I had to go do all my own deliveries this one week, and I went, and thank God I did, because normally I wouldn't have been making this delivery, Mm -hmm. but I went to Redbird Market to deliver sauce, and I walked in, and there's Luann, the previous owner, and she says, well, Oxford, no, Oxford's (laughs) getting into my food, Oxford, Oxford, no, 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 no dog's getting into my food sorry and uh she says paul i I have some really really unfortunate news we will not be renewing our lease um and uh unfortunately you know i'm just i don't want to do this anymore i'm I'm gonna move on and i was like oh no and like my first thought was just oh no you know like i can't believe it you know um redbird market's going out of business and i was like that's Mm -hmm. that's terrible i assumed she had done a bunch of due diligence and basically tried to but then she said you're the first person i'm telling yeah and i was like well uh, she's other than my husband you're the first person i'm telling i figured you know i I gotta start somewhere and and you know you just showed up at the right time and i you're the first person i'm telling and i was like you haven't told anyone she goes no and i go (laughs) And, you're, and you haven't even tried to sell it? And she's like, no. And I was like, could you give me like an hour? Right. <laughs> like, you know? Right. So I, because I, in my head, I was like, God, this is such a good location. It's such a good little store. They always seem relatively busy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know for sure, but I was like, there's got, there might be an opportunity here. Right. So um, we did our due diligence at that point. I asked her for her financials. We got numbers. We got to ask a bunch of questions and drill down a little deeper. So there was due diligence mm-hmm. done to make sure that it was profitable and worth the risk and everything. Um, but So it wasn't completely blind. But in that moment, I didn't know any of that. I just assumed. I was like, we had to do this. So I come home, I tell you, and you literally shut me down so fast. Ugh, I know. And <laughs> yeah. now looking back, I should be more open. But I, it was so overwhelming to me in no, that moment. No, we make a good team, though, because like, you will filter out ideas. Because I, right. I got 100 ideas, and, and if we're being honest, 99 of them are bad. So. No, that's not true at all. You're, 98. You're very creative. And ideas probably that you have had for Craft Cannery and for Guglielmo Sauce, I told you not to buy the manufacturing facility if you remember that did you really yes i it was right when covid hit and i said when you said that permac was going to going up for sale and you think you wanted to buy it i said no you can't it's covid and that's right you did you didn't want me like leaving the house right that's exactly what it was yeah Yeah, and then you had to so that was i told you not to do that either so just oh my goodness i this is all very new yeah (laughs) but let's just say though the beginning of it all the googly almost sauce you were very supportive of Back then. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we yeah. we kind of started that together too. Yeah. It was before we had Leo, yeah. and we were working at all the festivals together. Totally. But totally. that's a, that was another connection to Redbird Market for me is that when you got Google Amos Sauce in Redbird Market, I would go do demos in that store. Yep. And yeah, and also where I work, right down the road, like ten minutes down from where Dixon Trouble is, is Redbird Market. So sometimes on my lunch hour, I would go and I'd pick up soup and and whatever else. And always being in Fairport because that's where my family is. I have made many a trips. Similar to, to your intern story at Dixon Trouble too. We should mention <laughs> the first time I ever went into Redbird Market to try to sell sauce. The owner at the time, Julie, who was the founder, mm-hmm. uh, turned me down. Right. <laughs> so it's another full About circle that, story. Yeah. So anyway, I interrupted you. You were. It was to the point now where it was you and your mom kind of had this potential idea 
of well you well, brought home this potential I bring idea. Home this idea but now it's between you and your mom do you i said do no it? but my mom said this is really really exciting yeah because so, i was pretty upfront from the beginning i was like look i, I can't be involved I, i'm doing my thing right. I'm, I'm i'm never gonna leave what i'm doing to go do this so if it happens yeah. it's gonna be you and your mom and i'm gonna be very 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 small role right and even in, even in the early days we were saying the chances of this actually happening are so small like yeah. any anything could fall through well because for the first few weeks we didn't see any financials so right. we had no idea for all we right. knew it could have been bleeding money right. and so that if that had been the case we would have been walk then too you didn't know what she was asking for the business right how much money does she want for the business so she could have been asking for something crazy in mm-hmm. which case it would have been off right and then beyond that you know, there's the negotiation of the actual contract and assets and inventory, blah blah blah. All of it could have gone bad at some point. Anything, right? And yeah. I and we weren't really t- we weren't telling anyone because anything could have happened. So, um, fast forward a few months later, I think this all happened in February, right? That's when you made that delivery. Yeah, something. It was either late February, or early March, something like that. Yeah, and then so a few months later, like every everything just started kind of falling in, in place. Yeah, and then um. Gosh, we're now on the second week. Yeah, so... So three weeks ago, the store closed, and um, that's when the transition happened. We had a painter come in, uh, Lorraine Staunch. She's an artist in Fairport. She came in, and she kind of beautified the artwork that's up on the walls, and we started... We cleaned. We cleaned like crazy, um, and we got some more local products in, and then... So the store was shut down for the week when that happened, and we were even talking about keeping it shut down for even longer because we wanted more time to rearrange the shelves and we could really like we could use more time to learn this business before we open but we couldn't go more than a week without opening our doors because right. no money was coming your, in your third partner uh yours truly was like uh you guys need to open your doors. yeah <laughs> we, you can't we need stay, money. yeah by the way that you know what day we agreed I'm look, i just went back to look at the email the actual day that the deal was made uh-huh March 31st. Is that right? On How your birthday? How crazy is that? My birthday. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I didn't even realize that that yeah. was, um, that's what we did. What did we do on your birthday? I can't remember. I don't remember either. <laughs> I really don't. Oh, uh, we just, went to Revelry. That's right. Yeah. Living right. Roots and Revelry. Right. Yeah. That's right. So we shut down for one week and then we opened last Tuesday. Uh, what was that? The 14th. Mm-hmm. And the first four days was our soft opening. So I was on PTO from my day job and I was in the store with my mom. My mom is really running the store. She's there every day. And um, last week, her and I were in the store together learning everything. Inventory, packaging, orders coming in, customers, working the register. Like we're the, the schedule. We're learning all of that. Another thing we were contemplating was pushing out the grand grand reopening celebration. And we could we could still really be in like our soft opening phase. But we didn't want to allow too much time to pass because we didn't want to lose excitement and You don't want customers to forget you're there. Right, exactly. Right. And we didn't want people to think that we were actually like closed if we were right. not grand opening um, official like that ready. So so we had four days of our um soft opening and then last saturday was our grand reopening celebration and working in pr i've done so many press conferences and ribbon cutting ceremonies and those type of promotional events the one at redbird market was hands down the hardest 
ribbon cutting <laughs> that I've ever been part of. Why is that? Because your three-year-old toddler started to throw a fit right in the middle of it? My or? poor Leo. <laughs> my poor, poor Leo. That was so hard on me, Polly. <laughs> I had to swoop in and like oh take my him gosh, away. Oh my gosh, hearing this poor kiddo just like crying <laughs> and you had to take him I away. Took, and then I took him down like the landing he stairs. He still talks about that. Daddy and took me away. Can you talk to him? I'm I like, was walking yes, down Main him. Street with him and he's just screaming. Right. Screaming, mommy, mommy. Right. And all I could think is I'm going to be arrested. <laughs> mm. I'm walking with this toddler in my arms who's screaming for his mother. Yeah, it was really hard. But well, that. that that part was hard. It was it was challenging and the hardest ribbon cutting that I've been part of because usually I'm there as the publicist, but this time I was there as the publicist, the co-owner, the greeter, yep. the mom, most importantly, yep. and Leo. So I, I kicked off the ribbon cutting at the podium. We had all the rest of the speakers standing alongside me, and I kick off and I welcome everybody. And Leo's standing right next to me. Leo, side note, there's been a lot of change and transition over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And this kid, I was having some separation anxiety. So he wanted to be by my side at this ribbon cutting. And so when I opened up the program and I'm welcoming, welcoming everybody, 30 seconds into it, Leo's like, mommy, my lollipop, like starts <laughs> telling me something about the lollipop. I was like, okay, bud. Okay. Um, tell me right after. I said, no, mommy, my lollipop. So that's when you came in and you swooped in and you took, you did the right thing. But as a mom, like it, it was, was hard. so hard for me to watch you walk away with him crying. And I had to stand there and finish my remarks. It was really, really tough. You did a great job. You had a great press conference. You had the Monroe County executive. Yeah, that was so cool. Right? You had came. the mayor of Fairport. Yeah. You had like the merchant association. We had a lot of community partners You had the original founder Fairport. of Redbird, Julie yeah. Stoltz, right? Like, Honestly, it was amazing. It was such a, it was a beautiful day and it was such a celebration too. And it was such a big deal. For me and my mom, because, and it's still weird saying it out loud that we are the co-owners of Redbird Market because I never, I never asked to own a grocery store. <laughs> you brought this opportunity home, Paul. <laughs> you did this no, to but me. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's really, really cool to do this with my mom. Yeah. There's so many opportunities too. So we've only been open now under our ownership for two weeks and we've brought in about 10 new, um, local vendors like more we the store already carries like 75 local products but we brought in 10 more that wasn't already like, there what are some of the highlights the things that you were like oh my god day one we're bringing in this Pittsburgh dairy yep Pittsburgh dairy ice cream and milk it's flying off the shelves mm -hmm. um amazing grains the salty bread the salty bread again like today we ordered 20 loaves it was gone in like two hours yeah um new pasta vendors yeah uh, Newberry Park Pastries. Okay. We're friends with Kate and Brighton. That's what we eat here yep. at home as a family. Um, uh, special Touch. Special Touch Bakery. The Holy pies. Childhood. Oh, yeah. Beautiful pies. They're amazing. Yep. Yeah. And even in the next week or so, we have some additional feelers out for more products. That And I won't share that now just in case any anything doesn't happen. But over the next few months, we want to build up yeah. and make our local products that are available really strong. I will say, Guglielmo sauce is such a hot seller. I'm surprised, but I like being there when... Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised? Come no, on. It's, it's a good it's, sauce. I know, no, Polly, I know, but it's so funny because it, like, 
it's our sauce, you know. Think and people are just buying it because they know that like now you're the owner. A lot. I I tell them. I say thank you so much for supporting this store. And my husband makes that sauce. Like thank you for supporting us in both ways. And I'd say it's about fifty fifty. Like oh yeah, I know Paul Guglielmo and the other. Why he's your husband? That's so cool. Cool. Um, but yeah, Redbird has been really really fun what's and what's give me something about it that's mm-hmm. hard though because running a business uh, see the thing about this podcast is mm-hmm. i do a lot of interviews with business owners and a lot of what i like to talk to people about is how it is it is fun but it's right. also really hard it is the most invigorating mm-hmm. thing you'll ever do if Oxford's he wakes, going if he wakes up leo it's one of the most invigorating, most exciting things you'll ever do in your life, but it mm-hmm. is also one of the most difficult things you'll ever do in your life. Right. What is it that you've found to be very difficult about running a business? I have a couple thoughts to that. One, thankfully, it's me and Oxford, my... Oxford, please. I know. Oxford. If you wake up, Leo. Oxford, come here. Come here, Ox. Oxford. Is he, I don't even know what he's barking at. Ox. He never here. barks either. Ox, come here. Want to go boy treat? Come here. Good boy. Good boy. Go see your mommy. Fortunately, fortunately <laughs> it's me and my mom. And um, my mom is doing the ordering. And I don't think, well, I, I would. I would figure it out. But I think it would, if it was just me, it would be so overwhelming. So fortunately, there's two of us. And I think we complement each other well. The hardest do you have like offsetting skills, I think, right. which is good. Yeah, I think the like hard- for example, your mother would never do this interview with me. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. and right. my mom was like, "I am not talking at the press conference." She's like, "It would give me chest pain," and like, "I'm yeah. not doing it." I'm like, "Okay." Right. So yeah, like we're we're I think we complement each other really nicely, and it, there's two of us, so yeah. I think that that it's it's just better the way you started i mean google almost asked at the beginning it was it was, it was both of us i mean you were doing yeah the majority but i was supporting you craft cannery like you did that solo and no craft cannery was never solo craft cannery you have uh, a partner from day one there were yeah. three of us and i had a business partner right, right, right. tom who right. happened to be my mentor now that's very that's a small amount of people to start a factory with but still it wasn't right. i wasn't alone google almost sauce yeah it was essentially me with you you know, mm-hmm. helping. I think, um, I think just learning retail and ordering and it's a guessing game right now. We, we want to order X, but what if we sell out and like so that's, that's happening. And yeah. we've also ordered things that we didn't sell. And, and so and it's just, that, this, it's this guessing game that we're trying to figure thing. out right now. I, and, and I don't want to name any names as far as negatives go, you know, stuff that didn't sell, but right. Like, I mean, that, that happens and that's tough because mm-hmm. you just you just don't know right so but that it's I, I was talking to uh alicia <coughs> who is uh, she runs the store at greg's you pick in buffalo mm-hmm. which is a, a really really popular sort of farmer's market and little store and i was asking her i was like what do you how do you you know how do you mm-hmm. how do you run a little store mm-hmm. because you're not wegmans you're not tops you're never going to be wegmans wegmans is not threatened in any way by redbird nor should they be and you're not going to compete with them. Mm-hmm. So why even try? Mm-hmm. So what do you do? What can you do that's different? And the way she explained it is she said, well, we offer an experience. Mm. Right? She said people who go to a supermarket, a big grocery store, are doing it to check something off of their list of chores. Mm-hmm. People who come to our store, like Redbird or Greg's You Pick in her case, are coming to experience mm-hmm. something different. 
I love that. And I think that's something that relates to us with Redbird. My mom introduces herself to nearly everybody. And I mean, if we have a line out the door, then it's harder to have those conversations. But most people that come, most customers that have come in the store in the last week and a half, she introduces herself. I am the co-owner. She loves, it's so funny. She'll say, I am the mother of the co-owners and this is my daughter. So she's, I, I think we are making an experience. At least we're trying. And I mean, we're just, we're learning as we go. Yeah. Um, it, it seems from listening to customers when they come in, they really didn't want Redbird Market to go away. No, I think it has, it's got a foothold in Fairport now. Right. Yeah. Right. So the fact that it's still there, I I hope and I mean, we need everyone to keep coming back the last week and a half. It's been very busy. And um, I mean, we just need people to keep coming back. But we also are going to keep like switching up our products, offering more. We're going to keep what we have, but we're going to introduce more. So people are excited to keep coming back so i think the best way to think of it for anyone who's never heard of it or never been there Mm -hmm. is to think of it like a small little grocery store that's been curated to carry local high-end items mostly mostly but i still always like the word grocery to be in there because i want people to know that they will find everything they need to make dinner tonight Mm -hmm. at redbird market Mm -hmm. so it's the the it all the accoutrements that go with the dinner, you can get it all at mm-hmm. Redbird Market. It is a grocery store. It's a full service grocery store. It mm-hmm. has pretty much everything. I'd say one exception, one thing Redbird does not carry and it's on purpose is meats mm-hmm. and it's because we're right next to Skip's meat market. Right. And Skip's also has a few things that he kinda stays away from in, you know, some of the jarred condiments and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the specific idea being we'll kind of feed customers to each other. Right. Which from what I understand happens kind of a lot. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, and this is more of a personal challenge that is that I'm working through is um, last week when I when I was on PTO and in the store, I was in the store all day. And for the last three years, I've fortunately have been able to work from home. And I've seen Leo and I have lunch with him. And so like personally, that that was really, really challenging. Now, um, I'm, I'm back to my day job and, and the store and like that, that comes with its own set of challenges. And because everything is so new, I don't have like a really strong handle on my schedule and my routine. It's kind of out of whack. And like I said before, like I'm, I'm, (laughs) we're, we're so different in that. Like you're okay with that. I love routine and structure and schedule. And like, I love having the plan. And right now it just it's not as content and like structured as it has been for so long. And so I'm, I'm working through that, I guess. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, another thing about Redbird is we make our own peanut butter. Yes. <laughs> we make our own peanut butter. I, t- today, I made a chocolate peanut butter, a cappuccino peanut butter, and an all natural peanut butter. And I brought the chocolate peanut butter home. <laughs> it's really freaking good. It's really good. And we yeah. brought it over to a friend's house. And yeah. We brought, I think, salted caramel over to a friend's yeah. house. Yeah. So we have peanut butter. Um, yeah. It's, yes. Yeah. It's it's a really special little store, and I hope people will will get a chance to go out and see it. It's right in the heart of the village of Fairport, yeah. and we're in a really great plaza, like next to Skip's Meat Market. There's a bookstore that partners with the library with Fairport Library. 
I didn't even know that it was there until um, fairly recently, but they have discounted books. I'm talking books for like two, three, four dollars. Every time I'm at the store, I go in and I get Leo a bunch of books because if that's one thing that I love is it's children's books. Yeah, and he's got a full bookshelf. I, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, that's why I work to buy all the children's books for Leo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're we're so excited. We're keeping it in Fairport. It's my mom and I, and um, gosh, everyone has been so welcoming and so gracious. And I'm and I'm not just saying that. Everyone has been so incredibly kind and like congratulating us when we come in and thanking us for keeping it in in Fairport and that's really encouraging because on days we're like we don't know what we're doing it's interesting that that message got out there because yeah the idea that Redbird was going to close is not something that I think we ever really made public did we because nobody I mean from in the eyes of the public it was never going to close we just for I mean, nobody knew the story, I think, until somewhat recently. In fact, has it ever even been told until we just told it about the fact that Luann told me that she was going to close? I've, I've never told I don't think that that's story. ever been said. So I, I don't know how people are knowing that because mm-hmm. you're right. Some people have kind of said, like, you saved Redbird or, you know, to, to mm-hmm. you guys. And I'm like, how did they even know that? Because mm-hmm. I don't think we ever told anyone that Redbird was going to close. For right. all they know, we approached them and like wrestled it away from Luann, you know, right. because she was never going <laughs> to give it up. You know what I mean? Like, how did they even know that? I don't know. Right. I don't know. So anyway, it's anything so else? Well, we've been talking so much about work, 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 yeah. which, which is. You want to talk about personal stuff? No, it's so funny because like work, you're a worker. Like you are a worker hustler. You yeah. are okay with working 15 to 20 hour days getting four hours of sleep 20 is a little well the 20 is kind of intense but i would say i'm I'm 12 to 16 on a daily basis right yeah it's funny because i'm not like that i i need time for myself and self-care and leo and being a business owner, you keep saying, like, you're going to get your ass kicked. Like, yeah, you get your ass kicked a little bit. I, <laughs> I need the time to myself, too, though. But right. I, I just kind of pack. I more look at it like a week, and I'll pack weeks full and try to leave Sunday untouched. Mm-hmm. So Sunday can just be, like, a legit nothing-to-do day. I have That's a couple a of days like that, right? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Sundays, tomorrow, like, we have nothing work. Yeah. Well, some of us have to mow lawns. Right. You know. But Thursdays are that. my days with Leo, <laughs> and that will never change. That's that's my day with with our kiddo. Mm-hmm. What what else? What should the people know about me personally that they would never know about you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. <laughs> it doesn't have to be nice, by the way. Just but tell the truth. What? Why are you looking at me? No, I'm thinking. Say anything. Um. No, well, don't. Oh, well, no, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking about that. I know, I'm putting you. So, on. yeah. So, phrase the question again. What's well, so tell some pe- the tell the people <laughs> something they would never know about me. Um, which is, I, I admit, that's kind of a hard question because I've been a pretty open book. Right, you're a really good dad. You think so? <laughs> Leo adores you. Oh, I love him. And my favorite is when he says, "I'm gonna have a boys' night." Boys' night. He and I have been doing that doing boys nights recently because you've been working yeah i love boys night with leo yeah oh my he god he does have fun he's so I, freaking cute. 
I can't believe that you got me on this podcast. And mm-hmm. another, um, I guess, something else that's different. You mm-hmm. are an open book. Yeah. And I am not. Yes, we I, are very I am different. completely out of my comfort zone. And this, not that I've, I haven't even really been like vulnerable on this podcast, but yeah. I like this. I'm not used to this kind of thing. I'm behind the scenes always. Well, let's get, what are your thoughts on abortion then? Oh are my you, God. <laughs> oh my God, Paul. <laughs> that was one of my favorite things where uh, it was an old Howard Stern thing where he would have like strippers or something on the radio. You know, I grew up listening to Howard Stern. Right. It's what made me want to get into radio. And he would have like strippers on the radio. Their names would be like Bubbles and Misty. And they'd come in and like, They'd be all giggling, and usually they were drunk or something. Yeah. And he would always be like, "Sit down, ladies. Get the get the microphone." And then he would always be like, uh, "Misty, uh, do I understand? Is it your bubbles? You're Misty." And they'd be like, uh, "Yes, I'm Bubbles." And he'd be like, <laughs> "Bubbles, what are your thoughts on the Reagan administration's recent uh, dis- decision to tax Europe on tariffs?" Like, oh <laughs> I, would, I would always think it was the funniest thing. Where he would ask. That's him. ridiculous. He would just like out of nowhere just as these super serious questions oh my god <laughs> i guess it's not that fun that's no but that's mean it puts them on the spot for something that they're entirely not prepared well for. i will have well obviously that's a big issue right now and mm-hmm. i'm not asking you to talk about it but i will have talked about it before this podcast airs it's going to be part of my mm-hmm. intro yeah and yes and it's uh what happened this uh week in our country is absolutely uh, it is sickening yeah um and well you called me and you said you are now off paul Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I'm like you. <laughs> Wait a are second. No, such an actually, hold on a second. I'm <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. And it was. Let me explain my joke. <laughs> no, Polly, it wasn't funny. It at was. All. So it's from Handmaid's Tale, yeah. where they're all like named of of Fred right. and like of like of Warren, like. And I said, basically, our country, we've become the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And then, you know, and I told you about like, this is, this is, uh, you know, I feel so terrible for you. And I feel terrible because your sisters live in like conservative states. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I feel terrible for all women. This is just an awful thing. And, um, and then I, I signed off by referring to you as of Paul (laughs) because we're in the Handmaid's Tale now. (laughs) I think I hung up on you. (laughs) It's not funny. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right. I love you. We can <laughs> Thank you for doing this. This has been really fun, Paul. Was it good? Yeah. Next time I want to talk about, um, well, no, not, no. I was going to say next time I want to talk about life, but. There's going to be a next time? No. You want to do a two-parter? You want to do next week too? I don't, no, your listeners don't want a two-parter. I think they do. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, take a vote. If you want a two-parter, let me know. If, <laughs> how many? A lot of times when I do votes, I literally hear from like seven people. Right. But uh, I'll tell you what, if if I get if I hear from seven people and they all say yes, we're doing the two parter, we'll do it in the car on the way to Fourth of July. You know what's funny? You know the fa- th- what's funny is how cold my chicken's getting. But go on. <laughs> Your Grubhub chicken. Yeah. <laughs> um. What's funny is that, and I we came on because of Redbird Market, and I imme- I I at first said no to Redbird Market, but the first time you proposed to me, I said no to you. Wait a second. You want to tell that story? I don't. Well, well, I don't you get just into put it. it out there, no, and I love it. You've talked about that before, though. I told you? this story on the radio. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So it's not the first time it's ever been made public. Yeah, so, but yeah, the first so, time I popped the question, you said no. Paul Actually, you said yes. Then you called me I had to, to the side and said no. Right. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I don't want to bring this up right now. <laughs> well, you brought it up. <laughs> you want to do it? Let's do it. My immediate <laughs> reaction to everything is no. Well, you said yeah. No, so uh, basically, I brought you to a casino, and here was a sign. 
there was a sign. We went to the Niagara Falls like casino. We or had been dating for like a year. It was my birthday. I want to say. Yeah. And what? I, it was my birth. I don't remember exactly. I think I don't remember how old I was, but anyway, it was my birthday, and um, a bunch of my friends, and we organized this thing where I brought you to an Italian restaurant in the casino and we went and sat at this table for like 12 people but we went first all my friends pretended they were waiting behind then as soon as we sat down i told you stay here i gotta go get something real quick and then i went out and they were all lined up with like roses like a rose each and i gave a camera to tom so specific jocelyn to (laughs) video the whole thing and i turned it on before i gave it to him Um, and then we all walk in one at a time with these roses and i get down on one knee and i propose and you say yes and it turns out Tom didn't know that I had turned the camera on, so he hit the button again and essentially turned it off. Oh. So the whole thing was not on video. <laughs> it was a sign. I wish it had been on it video. It totally was a sign. You said yes, and then you spent the next like thirty minutes or so kind of like tugging on my arm, saying, like, Can we go can we go talk? Can we go talk? Can we go talk? And then I started to realize after a few minutes that it wasn't a good thing that you wanted to go talk. And then finally we went and talked and you were like, I can't do this. Nope, can't do this. And then I was just like, Well, <laughs> This this night just changed. <laughs> this is different. <laughs> now I'm sad that I brought it up. And then I decided I was going to propose to you every single day until you said yes. No, you didn't. Yes, you I never did. did that. And then no, I'm you like, didn't. yes, I did. And then like the second time I did up. it, you were like, you were like, stop doing this immediately. <laughs> and then I was. I like, don't well. even remember that. Yeah. And then and then it was about a year later. It's when I was ready for you to propose. Yeah. And then you were messing with me. And then you've made me wait like an extra six months. Yeah, and then I pulled a gym from the office where I kept on being like, get down on my knee and like, no, oh, I just got to tie my shoe. <laughs> and then it was a Wednesday night and you took me out for ice cream and then you yeah. did it there and I had no idea. Like, I just thought we were going for a walk on the canal in Fairport. Yeah, so we went on the canal in Fairport on a Wednesday night. You're right. We got Tiki's ice cream. Pizza. And the whole idea was as soon as we were done with the ice cream that I was going to propose. And I just remember I've never seen a human eat their ice cream more slowly than you did that <laughs> night because all I was doing was watching you eat that ice cream. Like, yeah. as soon as she gets done, I'm going to do it. As soon as she gets done, I'm going to do it. <laughs> well. All right. But you know what's so funny, too? <laughs> <laughs> I love how I couldn't get you on the podcast. Now I can't get you off the podcast. <laughs> uh, everyone everyone turned the podcast off like a half an hour ago. Yeah. No, an hour ago. Um, I just bought at the library, the bookstore I was talking about in, in Fairport, they had a book called Yes Day. So I got it for Leo. We just read it last night. And it's all about a whole day of just saying yes. Like yeah. pizza for breakfast? Yes. Yeah. That's something that I'm going to work on saying yes to more. And just saying yes to more. I Sometimes say, it's smart to say I that. say yes to everything for Leo. Yeah. Well, now I'm rambling. All right. I love you. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to this. If you're still tuned in. <laughs> it's um just spending time listening to this podcast i hope it was entertaining and interesting and not totally boring and that's a wrap that's right thank you